the way that me and my mother like to say it the um was that like when Hashem said that you will be spread to all the nations, he meant it. Hi, I'm Nomi. Hi, I'm Rebecca. And this is Dreaming the World to Come. (laughs) This is Dreaming the World to Come, a project where we reimagine time and the ways we relate to it, aligning with ancestral Jewish traditions and honoring the diverse voices and experiences of the diaspora, past, present, and future and the magnificent humans who have been dreaming of a just world for millennia. Nomi and I are both queer, non-binary, white, disabled Jews, and Hebrew priestesses, or priestesses. We live in the Pacific Northwest on Squaxin Land, also known as the Stechas Village, and known colonially as Olympia, Washington. In addition to this podcast, we create a planner that combines Hebrew, Gregorian, and moon calendars, and this year's is called Indwelling Dreams of Olam Haba. This podcast will be coming out on at the beginning of each month, and will include our takes on that month and an interview with the contributor who wrote about that month in the planner. And you don't need the planner to enjoy the podcast, but you can buy it at www.dreamingtheworldtocome.com. And we also have a Patreon, which supports this podcast, supports paying for ASL interpretation and editing of the podcast, getting it out to the world. And you can join our Patreon and support this work at patreon.com slash dreaming the world to come. Nomi, how were your high holidays? They were good. They were deep. And Yom Kippur, I don't fast. And so sometimes it's like the thing that so many people are experiencing together as as like, oh, this is what we do on this date. I don't have that experience. So um, so it's it's always interesting for me. But I did, I read Torah um, and I sang. Oh, one of the really cool things actually about the High Holy Days for me this year was that I sang a couple songs at the temple and it's like the temple I grew up going to. So it's a lot of people I've known since I was a little kid. And um I really felt people feeling the vibe and like could see people like moving with me while I sang or like on one song they were like clapping and harmonizing and that was really fun. When you sang Slow Down, Child Slow Down, the whole congregation was enraptured and transported. I felt it. People were all like, I was going like this with my hands kind of like, swaying like a river and people were swaying with me and that just that was really sweet and nourishing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah what about you well I think I wanted to talk about Sukkot because I was um on Orcas Island this Mm -hmm. last weekend 
with my partner and our dog and it was so sweet to be near the whales mm. and watch the moon, the full moon rise over the Salish Sea. Mm. And it was a really sweet way to to welcome in Sukkot. And this mm. is the time of year where we make grape juice because I have a big grape arbor. And last year, uh, it didn't produce any grapes because I pruned it way back and retrained it over this arbor my dad and I built. But now this year, after skipping a year, the grapes are more abundant than they've ever been. So wow. we're going to have so much juice. And I invited some people over and to bring glasses and fill it up and we'll just... I borrow a juicer from my friend Jean and it's this cool mechanism where you heat up the grapes and the grape juice comes out warm. So I'm really I've been glad. there for that a couple of times. And honestly, when you say there's more grapes than ever, I'm like, how is that possible? Cause I remember <laughs> being there with you and it took like all day and there was like infinite grapes. Like it was not ending. <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to take two days this year. Wow. And I don't know if we'll get all the grapes juiced, but mm -hmm. it's it's such That's a so wonderful exciting. way to celebrate Sukkot. And we didn't, you know, we were away, so we didn't make a sukkah this year, but we mm -hmm. hung up these white cloths over the part of the grape arbor. So it feels like the sukkah in there. And I've been sitting oh, in there and, and eating and spending some mm -hmm. time with friends. Yeah. yeah, we should say it's probably clear to listeners now, but we're recording this during Sukkot um, <laughs> as we move towards the end of Tishrei and um, and Cheshwan. So I'm curious, Rebecca, what are your associations with Cheshwan? I love Heshvan. I love the break after all mm -hmm. the socializing and ritualizing of the high holidays in Sukkot. I love the quiet and the mm -hmm. darkening days and the leaves changing color and mm -hmm. the feeling of the ancestors feeling closer nearby. Mm -hmm. I often will dream about my ancestors at this time mm -hmm. of year or just have like synchronous moments of hearing a song or finding a lost item or something that reminds me of my beloved dead. Yeah. And yeah. And the, the letter associated with Heshvan, according to the Sefer Yitzira is Nun, which is also the first word of the Hebrew word Ness miracle. So there's something about, miracles and connection with with the dead too of this time of year and i'm i'm doing this project where i'm connecting the hebrew letters with animals and plants and the animal that i've connected with nun in this time of year is the bat i love this association with bat with this time of year the the night pollinators mm. and the little mammals that sleep upside down mm -hmm. and um yeah that people associate this time of year with it being a little spooky mm -hmm. but um it doesn't feel spooky to me it feels more comforting 
Mm -hmm. I know. I'm always like, oh, I love the time when all the spiders are out. Like there's so <laughs> many spider webs and the moon is all big and there's pumpkins. <laughs> like it's supposed to be scary, but it's very comforting. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we also associate uh, Nun and therefore the month of Heshvan with the tarot card death too, which also gets a bad rap mm -hmm. as yeah. well. But so much of the death that's happening this time of year, the leaves falling, the green life uh, going back to the earth is it's really so much about rebirth yeah. and yeah. rest. Our guest who we interviewed is Ishak Ofori Solomon. Uh, he also goes by Isaac or Yitzhak. You might see it spelled different ways in different places. We talked to him for an hour and 15 minutes. He gave us a masterclass. So much information that I'm so excited to share with people. We're going to share about a half hour of that interview in our podcast. And if you want to hear slash watch the full interview, I highly recommend it. You can access it through our Patreon, or if you're a Jewish person of color and you want to hear the full interview, just send us an email at elementalactivation at gmail.com and we'll send you a link so you can hear the full interview. Something we're trying to do with this project is decentralize Ashkenazi culture, although we both have part this in, as part of our lineage. Mm -hmm. And part of what we really care about and we've spent a lot of our adult lives doing is seeking out knowledge and other ways of expressing our Judaism, including through the queer community and including, you know, a lot of what is called Ashkenazi normativity is actually really things associated with Israel and mm -hmm. Zionism and that um, we've both sought out practices from Ashkenazi culture that have also been invisibilized through this normalizing of a dominant Zionist culture, which people call Ashkenazi normativity. Yeah. I, I mean, I keep saying this in our conversations, but I feel like in some ways, um, what he shares is is paradigm shifting for me in terms of even just what does it mean to be called a Jew? And is that even the right term for who we are? What are the threads, the like these links that go way back to certain texts, certain practices, but that have been like carried on and carried on and carried on through so many generations and that we wrestle with God, wrestle with our relationship to our own humanity and others' humanity, and and those being the things that we really want to honor and nurture and, and hold up and follow, um, as opposed to some kind of like monolithic practice or identity. Well, with that, we're going to share this incredible scholar interview with you. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, welcome Yishak. We're so excited to be talking to you today. We are going to be interviewing Yishak Ofari Solomon. 
um, who is an educator, student, writer, and journalist, who's a Black African, Beta Yisraelim, and Mustarabi queer Jew. They spend much of their time building communities based on solidarity. And in our planner, he shares much that is dear to him as a child of intersecting and rich Black, African, and Jewish diaspora experiences. And we'll have some links in the show notes so that you can learn more about Yishak's work. Welcome. Thank you. Well, Yishak, we love your contribution to this year's planner. I was so inspired to make art about your writing. It's one of my favorite illustrations for the month too. So thank you so much for that. We've also been so inspired by your writing out in the world and your commentary and introspection about intersections of Judaism and racism and calling in the community towards um, learning more about Ashkenazi normativity and educating ourselves more about the Ethiopian Jewish community. And so we're very grateful for, for your work in the world and really excited to talk to you today. Would you like to share something from your contribution or share some thoughts about why you chose to write about what you did? SIGT has always been an extremely significant day for me. And even outside of that, so much of the time, people feel like Hishvan has absolutely no holidays. And I feel like it's important to just at least sprinkle a holiday in there. So it's a mixture of it being a very significant day for me, but as well as in relation to things like the tarot, I do feel a connection to the card that presents itself in relation to change and growth. Um, for that time period. So as well as just the fact that I love the fall and winter and mm -hmm. October to November, at least growing up, um, absolutely amazing time to be sandwiched in because like it's right as it's getting cold and all of the leaves are falling off the trees and you have the spooky stuff and, you know, you can just hide indoors. It's a nice time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the you know, veil is so thin with the changing seasons and the the welcoming of night that it seems like SIGD to as a holiday seems well placed there as well as any celebration of the Torah is really celebration of our ancestors and those who have come mm. before. Entirely. And the reality of SIGD being such a specific celebration of our ancestors, it being a celebration of one of the most significant commitments that anyone who's come to be part of our people have made at some point, like especially as a Jew of color and especially with a lot of the people who I make Jewish community with, including converts and a lot of them, including people from interfaith communities and backgrounds. I feel like it's so important that SIGD is the holiday that really sits there and says, you know how when you come into our community, we say that it's a situation where you were there at Sinai with us? I feel like it's such a beautiful holiday because it's literally being there at Sinai to me. I'm happy that the Kasim have opened it up to the rest of the community because I feel like it holds so much power for so many Jews of so many different backgrounds 
and it's in the middle of an extremely major transformative season. Hmm. Um, one thing we were talking about in relation to your piece and how you said that um, it's been opened up so more people can are invited to celebrate SIGD and also you were kind of warning people or cautioning people about how to participate in that and especially welcoming other Jews of color and others from the African diaspora to embrace embrace SIGD. I feel like when it comes to any holiday, what really matters is that you're taking that holy day and you're following the spirit of it. Take it and see what it can mean for you and take care while you're doing that. It depends so much on intent and it depends so much on the way that someone's going about it and the potential connections they have for it. And I feel like a lot of times, and it bleeds into Ashkenormativity, normativity, this also centering of Jewish life in a positioning where most of Jewish life we discuss is in the context of Europe and even more so, more recent contexts within America and other settler colonies. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like there's also an importance for Jews of color, um, especially, but honestly, for people who also just happen to come from places, arguably, where like, they just are would have historically been of a different minhag, like, I feel like it's important mm -hmm. for people to have those spaces, and those abilities to connect, like, um, just as I invite Black people and Africans whether they be Jewish or whether they're a member of the di diaspora who would like to come and do something Jewish with other, with Jewish folks, I feel like it's such an important ability for people to be able to experience something that is not just Jewish, but it's Jewish and it originates in a place where we don't really get to hold the way that we get to hold other places when it comes to mm -hmm. the geography of the Jewish people. So mm -hmm. I feel like it's such an important thing for the Jewish community to lean into the fact that up until our parents' generation, our grandparents' generations, what's seen as cohesive Judaism didn't exist. Like mm -hmm. we've developed as part of where we're from. We've developed as part of yeah. the natural biology as part of the natural geography that humans are part of the natural system and i feel like the reality is is that like in a lot of places especially namely ethiopia the maghreb um iran india kurdistan afghanistan greece um austria you see the like italy you see the emergence of these jewish communities um that predate what we would even recognize as Judaism. Um, and mm -hmm. some of those communities, like in, like, for example, like the Ethiopian community, we kept our pre-Rabbinic, even though we have had a lot of developments since then. That's another thing. No one's static. The religion that is practiced today is entirely different than the way it was practiced a century ago. It's frankly different than the way it was practiced 50 years ago. These are communities that, like, by all means, you cannot make it seem as if like they did not also influence the non-Jewish communities in those regions. Mm -hmm. Your ancestors were here and you were just as part <laughs> of this place being what it is as they were. And I feel mm -hmm. like there's such an importance to claiming it. And one interesting thing that I um, got to um, learn recently was like um, whenever a town used to be, like whenever a community would almost be wiped out, the celebration of 
that survival would be called a purin. So I got to know this person wow, who beautiful, right? Like, and you have like purins of Prague, purins of Tehran, like all over the world, just as wow. a celebration of life. Like the fact that, like, yeah, it's a situated holiday, but like acknowledging that like just like in the just like in our recitation of it like there's this reality of like every generation there will Mm -hmm. be a situation and you will either rise to the occasion or you'll rise to the occasion because wow i love that it's beautiful i love that every that i never heard that before and it's so beautiful the way people's always are relating back to these ancient stories to celebrate other stories of resistance and survival mm-hmm. and that they get celebrated in this really amazing holiday where you're not supposed to like know the difference between right and wrong and you are dancing and performing and mm-hmm what that that's so beautiful to think about like Purim spiels being the stories of many stories of resistance mm-hmm. not just the original Purim story it adds so much more depth to tradition honestly even under duress we evolve and mm-hmm. it shows that that evolution invariably doesn't just affect our communities, but it ends up affecting the communities around us and it helps better paint a picture of what this world is and who we are. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think of Judaism in a way, almost like playground rhymes where it's like you learn the version that is popular on your playground and then other people have learned the same song, but it has like, certain words that are different or certain, you know, and when I read Torah and teach trope to people, I think about like, you know, I learned from two specific Ashkenazi rabbis and what I do is a combination of what they both taught me. Judaism all over the world is like both rooted in this text that is, is common, has a common language and common stories, but then travels through so many bodies and so many other languages and so many other ways of of knowing and i just i love that so much and when i have opportunity to hear other types of trope it's like i can hear all all the voices that came through that and just felt really well and it's just unfortunate that so because of ashkenazi normativity we've lost so many i mean many cultures have held on to it but in in the that there's this like broad um really related to israel so much um Mm -hmm. connection with ashkenazi normativity and that it's just missing so Mm -hmm. much culture and so much beauty of jews and the worst part is that Mm -hmm. it was done intentionally like the worst part is that children were separated and parents were forced not to speak languages at home. And yeah. the worst part is that on certain levels, it still occurs day by day. Like the yeah. realities of like the fact that thankfully we have Yiddish programs, but 
Try to find mm -hmm. a Ladino program. Try to find Judeo-Arabic, mm -hmm. Judeo-Neo-Aramaic, Judeo-Malayama. I work with, I can go on. I work with a few yeah. Jewish language recovery groups, but um, I've been grateful to be able to, I want to plug them. Um, Oxford School of Rare Jewish Languages, every so often they hold classes and they'll teach you anything from classic Yiddish to Judeo-Arabic to Judeo-Neo-Aramaic and they have like two, three different Judeo-Arabic um, dialects and they have a lot of resources and there's been such a significant loss and it's so much in relation to Israel, it's so much in relation to Zionism. Back in the 1800s, there was a concerted effort on the part of those Western European Ashkenazim who decided to align themselves with the with colonial powers in hopes of liberation, right. there was a concerted effort to try to assimilate these Jewish populations on a global scale. Like one thing that occurred in um, Iran specifically was that there were so many J French Jewish language schools that at a certain point they just lost their nusach and. Hmm. There's also a situation where similar happened in Ethiopia over the course of since the 1850s. You have this combination of German and French Ashkenazim saying they want to help the community. But a lot of times this help looks like enforcing standard Hebrew. A lot of this times this help looks like converting people to rabbinic Judaism. A lot of times this help looks like undermining our traditional religious and spiritual leaders. And this is not yeah. just a situation that is faced by the Ethiopian community. It's faced by other African and Asian Jewish mm. communities. It's faced by a large amount of Swana Jews. And then also you have groups like the K-Rites, who these are non-rabbinic Jewish groups that like, mm -hmm. even still the idea, the question of Jewish, that ends up leading to other questions because in relation to K-Rites, Karaites and rabbinic Jews have historically been at each other's throats. And it's a situation where like the state's gone as far as to say that it's a Jewish state and Karaites are not considered Jews and therefore have inferior rights. Like that was straight up printed in Haaretz like back in 2008. And wow, it's not that long ago. Yeah, no, like the same types of people are the rabbinate is still full of like dangerous individuals, like extremely scary yeah. people. And it's a situation where like, there's such this co-option of mm -hmm. Jewish diversity. There's such this co-option mm -hmm. of the fact that the way that me and my mother like to say it the, um, was that like when Hashem said that you will be spread to all the nations, he meant it. Um, <laughs> but um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but some people don't want to celebrate that or accept that and even go to, like, I love how you framed that as the the assimilation of Eastern European Jews assimilating to colonialism. Yeah, because that's exactly that's what That's the it assimilation. Was. One thing I've been thinking about is, like, Am Yisrael, like, that is a larger identity. And I think one thing for our people has always been the fact that we exist in this modern day because we change, we challenge, we mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. I One huge thing that I've always loved about being a Jew is like 
our story that defines us is that we wrestle with God. It's beautiful to follow God. It's beautiful to submit to God, but we wrestle God. Every day that we wake up, we get to define what our tradition means to us. And through that, we will be defining mm-hmm. what it means to so many other people. I grew up learning about Judaism from my family. I grew up learning from my grandfather in particular. It's really such a recent like thing that really was introduced through Ashkenazi communities of this idea that like, oh, the rabbi teaches you. But in so many other communities, it's always been like, you're going to learn 90% of this from your parents. There are those quirks that Mm -hmm. are only ever going to be readable because your mom comes from Great Neck and her mom comes from Mm -hmm. Belarus. Like there's certain things that'll ever only ever be readable Mm -hmm. because your dad comes from Silver Springs and his dad originally came from Kenya. Like there's so many things that like when it comes Mm -hmm. to identity, like they leave a mark that says this is ours specifically. And I find it to be such a, I find it to be such a unifying factor. One thing that I've been feeling in relation to like the Jewish community and the fact that we need those spaces to grow, we need those spaces to grieve. We need so much more space to heal. I feel like, unfortunately, Ashkenormativity has even put a certain level of a veil onto that, too. There is such a weaponization of the pain of African and Asian Jews. Very often when our pain is brought up, our pain is brought up in the context of politics. It's brought up in the context of specifically using us as a buffer class against indigenous Palestinians. We're not fully being allowed the ability to engage with those pains. Even the Jewish pains that we actually do talk about, we mention the Inquisition and we treat it like a footnote when it's like, it's changed the face of the Jewish community on a planetary level in a way that will never Mm -hmm. occur again. Like there's potentially 60 million people in Latin America right now with Sephardi Jewish lineage because of just how widespread <laughs> B'nai Anusim, Conversos, and just like small Sephardi communities, all three of these very distinct and diverse traditions that were directly affected, some of which were birthed out of the violence of the Inquisition. Very often, Jewish trauma is used as a shield in our communities at times. We use it to get out of confronting things about ourselves and about the rest of our community that we really need to call out directly. There's also the very big elephant in the room of it being used to silence the violence committed against Palestinians. There's this huge elephant in the room and people try to treat the modern colony as if it was the way of being able to make up for the Holocaust. And for one, it wasn't, it was planned to be an explicitly, it was, it's an explicit settler colony, just as explicit as America, just as explicit as New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. Even today, we are living in this reality where people use Jewish trauma to silence the reality of Palestinian deaths. There's this very awkward space of the fact that there's too many people in our community 
who are not willing to go past their trauma. So much of Jewish community has been defined by trauma. And so many people feel comfortable mm -hmm. only wading into their Jewishness as much as they wade into trauma. And I feel like there's such a danger mm -hmm. to that because with that, that right there stands the basis that's used to justify the violence that's being committed. Like there's this reality of it's being committed in our name. And as long as you are not actively against that, you are inherently adding and advocating for said violence. Thank you for speaking to this because um, that is a vision of the world to come that we really hold with this project is Palestinian liberation. Honestly, there won't be a Judaism if it isn't beyond Zionism. At this point in my friend group, you're probably not a friend of mine if you haven't gotten like permanently disinvited from a synagogue, at least one. Because even the most bland defense of Palestinians is treated as a threat. <laughs> I'm not necessarily a Torah literalist, but I definitely believe that we cannot commit this level of evil and not think that's going to result in something. I legitimately believe mm -hmm. that for the safety of Palestinians and for the continuation of ourselves, aligning with these destructive mm -hmm. evil powers Ontological evil is ontological evil, and aligning with such is only yes. way to produce evil. The one scripture that I like in particular from Pirkei Avot, the second chapter, the third um, paragraph of it, when they discuss how you're not supposed to be, how you are not supposed to um, trust the authorities in the land that you live, and you're not supposed to work with them because they are known for betraying people. As Jews, we have a lot of things that we claim, and we need to start actually interacting with that. One thing I've been questioning is, what is a Jew? Who is a Jew? And what is that going to look like? Mm. The way I see it is that Beta Yisraelim, our traditions predate Judaism existing in Judaism by definition. It was a term created by groups of people who were not us to describe us. And it had a very specific mm -hmm. connotation of you are either a descendant of the tribe Judah or that you were from what at some point was known as Judea, now Palestine. The way that I see it, I've been having kind of an identity question because within Ethiopia, the term Jew really didn't start becoming something that Beit Yisrael used to describe ourselves until like the last century or so. And it was something that was more so brought in by our relationship with German and French Jews. It was something that was more so brought in by the fact that mm. this was the terminology that was used to describe the group on the communal level, on a global level. But historically, we like our name literally means House of Israel. Like it describes our religion, it describes mm -hmm. our ethnicity. So Historically, the mm -hmm. legends when it comes to how Jews arrived in Ethiopia are actually pretty similar to the ones on how they arrived in Yemen. And I feel like that goes more to show to show how like in diaspora, we are a part of our local geography. It goes to show that we're not always mm -hmm. distinct. We're not always separate. It's not always a situation where we're afraid of each other or we're at odds, which I feel like is so often the only story that's told in relation to like pre-modern Jewish life.
And I feel like that's something that's so dogmatic yeah. and so important for us to get past because it's gotten to the point where even rabbinic Ashkenazi minhag has become so tense with its within itself. And then you end up seeing how that mm-hmm. tension looks at like when you go and look at a different sect. And then you see that tension when mm-hmm. it's a situation of you see it and you look at it from the perspective of, well, what about these groups that historically have not identified as Jewish? And what does it look mm-hmm. like when we look at the identity of Am Yisrael as a larger scope of being descendants of Yisrael, as a larger scope that goes beyond differentiations that came from warfare and political dissent? That's the type of stuff that we're still dealing with. We're still dealing with the fact that Mm. the rabbinate feels that its traditions are superior. We're still dealing with the fact that there have largely been these assimilations and standardizations that have occurred. People don't really Mm. talk about it because it's Mm. a sense of, it's a sense of shame. It's a sense of extreme violence that was practiced against us. And it's a situation Mm. where, like, so much of the time we end up being placed in these positions of coercive community. And I feel like one huge thing that we need to do is to look outside of what I would call coercive community. One way of doing that would be to fully incorporate fully digest fully play with the ideas of all of the different places and peoples that we may that we are made out of it feel like there's such an importance to Mm -hmm. this diaspora as a locality but also diaspora as a curiosity and i feel like there's within Mm -hmm. that we're able to not just affirm who we are but more importantly truly grasp with who other people are so one thing i have been thinking about is like what do we look like going forward and i've been thinking about what does jewish identity look like what does beta yisrael what does beta yisrael identity look like what does am yisrael identity look like what does identity look like when we're not letting (laughs) old men who might be very well read but who are not behaving within the most important charges we are given of respecting Mm -hmm. and grappling with humanity, what does it look like when we do away with that? What does it look like when we truly push? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I really appreciate about groups like the Kohenets. And that's something that I really appreciate about movements like Mm -hmm. the Neo-Hasidim. And I feel like there needs to be more pushes Mm -hmm. into this. I feel like you can't really talk religious reform and religious and cultural identity without, it it all boils down to the fact that this can only be done with a solidarity to Palestine and the Palestinian people. And I feel like the most bare minimum way of doing that is Am Yisrael. I feel like that's the most bare minimum. Mm. I feel like an end to coercive tactics. I feel like a restoration of community. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like, hey, just like I'm someone of mixed African descent and I try to connect with all of my identities, there is this reality that there's no going back. 
like I feel like there's such an importance to holding the complications mm-hmm. of these like conflicting mm-hmm. identities of these Jewish identities of these Israelite mm-hmm. identities of whatever we want to call these identities mm-hmm. to hold the fact of where we came but also to be able to create where we are I am learning so much from you and I'm wondering um How can our listeners learn more from you? I want to open my door to anyone, but I I want to especially open my door to Jews of color, converts, and people from interfaith backgrounds, as well as non-Ashkenazim. I do Jewish education because I wish that I had someone like me in Jewish education. So I definitely always want to open Mm -hmm. that door and just make it so that Mm -hmm. if if you're looking for assistance with finding a community, let me know. You can contact me through Instagram or Twitter. Fair warning, if you see me on Twitter, I'm probably yelling about politics or something. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge. I am excited for more sharing out in the world and the revolution to Judaism that you are such a huge part of that um, Mm -hmm. may it may it manifest in our lifetimes and all the, your visions for the world to come, uh, come true. Um, yeah. Thank you. This is our meditation for the month. We so see Heshvan with cedar. Eretz in Hebrew. Take a few breaths in. If you have some cedar, you can burn a little bit of her sweet smoke. And breathe into this ancient ancestral plant that the first and second temples were built from this plant that's mentioned 70 times in the Torah. One of our continuous friends and support. Cedar is planted when a child is born. There's a tradition that as the tree grows, the child will grow. And at that child's wedding, the boughs from that cedar tree will be used for their chuppah. So cedar is a tree that sees you through your life, celebrating with you, rooting you into the story of your lifetime and the story of our ancestors' lifetimes. So feel your body like the trunk of a cedar. Feel the stability. Feel the branches and fronds, the home of many birds and animals. And feel the strength 
of your own body. Like a tree, like a pole, from the earth to the sky, breathing in the blessings of the stars, paying reverence to the soil and mycelium, and feel the strength of your ancestors known or unknown, chosen or blood, at your back. Thank you, Cedar. And now it's time for This Way to Alam Haba, signposts that are pointing our way toward the world to come. And these are projects that are working toward building the future that we want to live in, in the present. And this month, we want to highlight the Jewish Reconstructionist Movement's adoption of a draft resolution toward supporting reparations. And we just submitted a proposal to the board of the local synagogue, which um, is affiliated Reconstructionist, to create a task force on reparations and our big project that we are hoping to do and planning to do is to raise the money and also just provide the infrastructure to uh, to provide safe, secure, long-term stable housing for a local Black family who's been very seriously impacted by white supremacy. So um, we're excited. We know the resources are there to be redistributed. They just bought a parking lot for a million dollars. So we know there's money there and <laughs> we can fulfill this vision. Yeah. And so, so we'll keep you all updated throughout the yeah. year of what happens. And we have a couple other announcements. Uh, thank you to everyone in advance who has been supporting our Patreon. We really, really appreciate it. We have enough patrons now to pay our contributors for their interviews for the month. And we're hoping to get some more patrons to support paying for ASL interpretation. Hopefully, we'll mostly be able to have uh, deaf ASL interpreters for our podcast and also to pay our editor. And shout out to um, Jay and Amy who have done editing. Shout out to Jennifer and Aaron for their interpretation. And yeah, thanks everyone. And you can support us at any level, $1, $5, $9, and you get the long extended contributor interview. And if you liked what Ishak said, there is so much more up on Patreon, and it's yours to listen to and enjoy. Yeah. There's so much there. It's amazing. And we still have planners, and they're on mega sale. What's the code for the 20% off sale, Nomi? The code is all caps DREAMING, D-R-E-A-M-I-N-G. So head over to dreamingtheworldtocome.com and get your planner or buy one for a friend if you have somebody in mind. Where's one's roots I come from? 
giving thanks for your presence with me well once the roots i come from bring your gifts to this reality oh let your medicine flow through these veins your blood my blood let your medicine flow through me these veins your blood my blood loving ones the roots i come from expand your love through me oh bright ones the roots i come from shine shine your light through me oh let your medicine flow through these veins your blood my blood let your medicine flow through me these veins your blood my blood let your medicine flow through these veins your blood my blood let your medicine flow through me these veins your blood my blood let your medicine flow through me these veins your blood my blood